you have your Bibles tonight, turn to Exodus chapter 15. As we continue our study on the life of Moses. If you guys have been following our study so far, we've been observing Israel. How the Lord has brought them out of Egypt. The book of Exodus It's a book of redemption, where the Lord is redeeming his people, Israel. And now, after the title, the Exodus, the title of the book, that action is finally taking place. The Exodus is the the group of people leaving the place of Egypt, traveling to a promised land. That is the actual Exodus. And this is where we are now in our study. In the book of Exodus, we saw that the symbol of the Israelites leaving Egypt was a symbol of a believer leaving the world, leaving his past life. Now, as Moses is having this great victory in his life, he then is going to turn to praise, to worship the Lord for this triumph. In Exodus chapter 15, Moses shows himself to be a skillful worshiper of the Lord. In his writing, we see just the love that Moses had for his God. Now, in tonight's study, I'm actually not going to read the entire portion of Moses' song. I've highlighted... A few verses, the reason being is that we are doing a overview on the life of Moses in our study. So we're, I highlighted certain verses out of Exodus chapter 15, and I'll share them with you as we go along. And keep in mind, as we study the life of Moses, this is a, a survey study. We are taking a survey in the life of Moses, the book of Exodus. In verse 15, I'm sorry, chapter 15, beginning with verse 1, it says, Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. See, Moses is giving God the credit and the glory for the victory in his life, for the victory over the children of Israel. And Moses has learned that it wasn't by his own strength and his own might that the Israelites were delivered. That Bible verse, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord, rings true. Remember, Moses He at first tried to liberate the Israelites. And in doing so, he killed an Egyptian guard, buried him in the sand to hide his murder. And then they found out about that. So he fled from Egypt and wasn't able to liberate anyone. In his own strength, he got as far as burying one Egyptian and and did a terrible job at it. 
But when the Lord took hold of Moses' life, Moses saw the Lord bury an entire army of Egypt in the sea. And Moses, thankfully, was used by the Lord in that process. Moses is now giving God his glory, his credit. I'm reminded that as believers, we are never to take the glory from God. It's a danger when we do that. Good ministry teaching is you are never to touch his glory. You are not to touch the women and you are not to touch the money. That's ministry 101. Because those are the, some of the major pitfalls that we see both men and women fall into. But the Lord deserves all of the glory. And that's what Moses is singing about here. In verse 3, Moses writes, The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Now it's interesting how he gives God the title of a man of war. See, this is pointing prophetically to the man who will come as God. And we know that to be Jesus. The Lord is his name. See, our Jesus, he is a man of war. Sometimes we always figure out this picture of gentle Jesus, meek and mild. But what about when the Lord clothes himself in the armor of God? What about when the Lord returns with his church at the end of the seven-year tribulation to fight against the, uh, the armies of Satan in Armageddon. The Lord, Jesus, and that's Jesus riding on his horse in glory. He is a man of war. And we know that Jesus is victorious. The Bible teaches us this. This is the God that we worship. When we are fighting in, in battles, in spiritual places, Jesus is our commander. The King of kings, the Lord of lords. Moses writes about this. In verse 9, Moses writes, The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. And that is exactly the strategy of Satan. He tries to chase and overtake and divide us. The Bible teaches us that the devil roams about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And right with that verse, it says, be sober, be vigilant. You see, we need to have the armor of God upon us, not drunkenness and immorality because then it's an open door for Satan the lion to come and devour us to destroy 
our marriages, to destroy our, our families, the relationships that we've built with people in our lives. You see, Jesus, we get that picture of the armor of Christ. It's the armor of Christ from head to toe. And you notice there's, there's no back plate that is mentioned when it mentions the armor of Christ, and that's because we're not to turn our back on the enemy. We need to be aware. So there is spiritual warfare. Moses is singing about this. Perhaps you're going through spiritual warfare now in your life. May we put on the armor of God. How do we put on the armor of God? In the morning, when you read, the Lord begins to conform your mind to him rather than this world. When you pray in the morning, you pray on the armor. You ask God for his righteousness, his gospel to go forth in your life. In verse 11, Moses writes, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You see, God desired to show Pharaoh and Egypt that there was no other God like him. God is a jealous God. So every plague that he sent upon the Egyptians was a direct destruction of an Egyptian God. In verse 13, again, Moses wrote, you in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. See, I'm the Lord's. You're the Lord's. We don't belong to ourselves. He gets to call the shots. When we are redeemed by him, that means we have been bought at a price. The price of his precious son, Jesus Christ, that perfect spotless lamb, slain for your sins. So if Jesus, if God has purchased his people Israel, if he owns them, then doesn't he get to call the shots? And we could say the same about us today. Much of tonight's message is going to be about complaining. Complaining against the Lord. And in our, our lives, we, we do that at times. We have seasons where we feel that we're missing out. We feel that there's something that's missing. And at times, there are things in our life that are missing, that we're missing out on. But then we take it a step further to fault the Lord for wrongdoing. This is wrong. See, if God has bought us and he calls the shots in our life and he's responsible for bringing goodness into our life, we can't do that ourselves. The goodness from him. Because the Bible teaches that everything, every good thing comes from above. So if he's responsible for the good things to come into our life, 
And if he hasn't brought something in your life, doesn't that mean you're not supposed to have it yet? We've been redeemed. So Moses is reminding himself, reminding the Israelites and praising the Lord of his goodness. In verse 20, his sister Miriam has that same heart. It says, then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. Now, it's quite interesting when you look at the, the cultural practices of worship. You see, today, when there's dancing in a church, to be honest, I get a little weirded out. But that's a cultural thing. Now, there is that type of worship that is highly emotional and a lot of, you know, flailing around. And, you know, I'm not going to say that those people are not believers and that they're not saved. That's not biblical that they're not saved. You see, I've seen people worship in very strange ways in South America. And I realize that, you know what? They're worshiping the same God. Now, in Redeemed Church, you're not going to see someone running up and down the aisles praising the Lord, Jehovah Jireh, and start dancing around. The reason being is it will distract our congregation from just focusing on the Lord. And that's the conviction that I have to lead in worship. So, you know, don't fault the Pentecostal church if, you know, you think that they worship funny. Look at Miriam. Look at the way they're singing and dancing and all the women after the Lord. May we be careful with our judgmental attitude, discerning. And don't worry, next week I'm not going to ask anyone to dance on Sunday morning. Verse 21. And Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. Reminding themselves of what, of what the Lord did as he brought them through the Red Sea. In verse 22, so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Merah, they could not drink the waters of Merah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Merah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? Now, at this point in this account, they have been traveling in the wilderness without water for three days. And it, they're out there in the desert. 
I'm sure they had some water already with them, but now it's running low. Certain people perhaps are, are running out of water and supplies and people's hopes are falling down. You see, without enough water, you know, your kidneys, they start to use a lot of energy and wear and on your tissues and it even affects the, the kidneys to filter your blood. So eventually, your kidneys cease to function because they're not getting water intake. Now, your body temperature, it starts to, to raise and it's, it won't stay regulated. The electrolytes in your body become unbalanced. Your joints start to not work properly. Your brain can even swell without proper hydration. Your blood pressure increases and decreases to places where it's not supposed to be. So without water, two million Israelites out there in the desert, you can imagine what they're going through. What Moses is looking at and being like, oh man. And the people are saying, what shall we drink? And they're complaining now against Moses. You see, the Israelites finally get what they are literally dying to have. They're in so much desperation to have this water. And when they get to Merah, they begin to drink this water, and as they drink it, they're all, all of a sudden, it tastes bitter, like poison. They can't drink it. It's undrinkable. So after all this point now of dehydration and thirst, they finally get what they think is going to save them, and it's terrible to take in. And it's not going to keep them alive, they realize. So they start to feel hopeless and this agony just turns bitter. Hopelessness can set into your heart in the wilderness. The anxiety of the unknown and fear accompanied in life begins to cause us to question God, his goodness, his love. We can at times fault God for being wrong as we suffer. Perhaps we ask, God, why have you brought me here to die? Why are you allowing me this suffering? Why don't you do something, God? And this is what the people here were struggling with. But when you look at Moses' response to the people and to the situation that they're in, we learn what type of spirit Moses had, the spirit of God. Look at verse 25. So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. So look at Moses' response to now the trial in his life. He doesn't go complaining. It says he called out to the Lord. Not in a manner of questioning God's fairness or his goodness, but calling out to the Lord with a heart that is asking for God to do that work that only God can do. And the Lord showed him provision. The water, when he dipped the tree into this water, was miraculously made sweet, good to drink. Believer, Christian, do you find yourself in a place of need tonight? In a place of emptiness and in desperation? 
May you, like Moses, call out to the Lord and allow him to guide your heart. We need to submit to the Lord's plan for our life. Allow God to do his work. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 14, Jesus says, Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him would become in him a mountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. And again, Jesus says in 1 John chapter 7, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You see, that thirst that we have in our lives, every human being has it. There is a thirst. There is something missing in our our desire, in our hearts, in our minds, that God placed there with intention. There is a hole in our heart that only Jesus, that God himself, can meet, can fill, can complete. And so many times we try to fill that thirst with things that are harmful and evil and wicked and terrible to ourselves. And in doing so, we make ourselves even more and more addicted to the things of this world. But Jesus says that from him is there an endless spring of everlasting life where you're content and at peace. Perhaps you are in that season of wilderness. I want to encourage you tonight in the Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Let go of your own belief, trust in the Lord. Lean on him, not on your own understanding. In your decisions, lay them out before the Lord and he's gonna lay that path before you. He's gonna direct you. Again, look at verse 25. So he cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Now, picture this. Israelites just came out of Egypt. We read about this. There was this great and powerful account of how God delivered the Israelites from the Egyptians through the Red Sea. I loved teaching that chapter. It was ministering to my heart. And right after the Red Sea, 
right after this great victory, the Lord is leading them through the wilderness. Now there's going to be a huge lesson in regards to the Israelites in the wilderness. See, the wilderness season could have been an 11-day journey for the Israelites. It would have taken 11 days from them to leave Egypt and travel to Israel, the promised land. But as we read further, we're going to find out that an 11-day journey turned into 40 years because of their disobedience to the Lord in the wilderness. You see, may that not be said of you. May you submit and obey the Lord's direction, his will in your life. You've heard me say before, we're not saved by our works. That is true. And that God is merciful and gracious. So there are times when God prevents us from being punished when we deserve punishment. But there are also times when the Lord will chasten us because we are disobedient. There are conditional clauses that sometimes the Lord will give his children as we read about in the Bible. In verse 26, again, it says, and if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord. That word if, it's a conditional clause. They can choose to obey the Lord or they cannot. In the Bible, the word if is used 15 95 times, 1,595. I counted all the times that it said if in the Bible. It came to that number. I'm just kidding. It was on Blue Letter Bible. It tells you. It's used 1,595 times. If you want to remember it, easy 1595. And the reason why I'm bringing that up is because that conditional clause is given throughout the entire scripture. The reason being is because you have a choice whether you're going to serve God or not. That's why I bring it up. Has God determined and chosen us? Absolutely, God has chosen us. But you also get to choose God. You have to choose him too. It works on both sides. Now, many of God's laws to Israel, it's quite interesting They had a direct impact on their hygiene and their health. Practices like circumcision with leprosy and quarantines and washing and running water and eating kosher meals. And it made a real medical and health difference to the Israelites. And these were the laws that were given in the Mosaic law. And because they followed these laws... Their hygiene and their health was better than nations that didn't follow these laws. Thankfully, now with modern technology, the Lord has given us freedom in Christ that we can eat pork and bacon and praise the Lord at the same time. But again, that if the conditional clause, you follow these laws I'm giving you, I'm going to keep these diseases away from you, the Lord is saying the Lord working supernaturally through the natural. 
Again in verse 26, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. This is a a name of the Lord that we have not yet read of. The Lord who heals. The Hebrew name for this is Jehovah Rapha. The Lord, our healer. The Lord who heals. This is a beautiful name of the Lord. Someone who mends, a a good physician who restores. See, God can heal you. We have been plagued by COVID this year, this past, it's been a year now. And for some people, It took COVID to get their attention. For some people, it took COVID to get them to that point where they realize that they need God in their life. You see, sometimes the Lord will allow trials in our life so that we can turn our eyes and focus on the eternal healer of our life rather than having our eyes focused on the world. And everything that he does for his children, it works together for good. For those who love God and are called according to his promise. Remember the the blind man. As Jesus and his disciples are in Israel walking through, they see this blind man. And his disciples ask Jesus. They say, Jesus, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his sins? Or was it because of his parents' sins? Jesus turned to his disciples and he said to them, this man wasn't born blind because of his sins or his parents' sins. He was born blind so that God can be glorified. This was a new thought for the disciples. That because we're not spared from suffering, it doesn't mean that we're apart from God. Many times, in fact, it's when we're in suffering that we open ourselves up the most to the Lord. May God be our healer in our hearts tonight. Our God is a healing God. In verse 27, Then they came to Elim, where they, there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. So they camped there by the waters. In chapter 16 now. Well, actually, even before I go, I go to chapter 16, I do want to note. Notice that the Lord now brought them to a place where there's a bunch of wells of water. And then... That's all we hear about the place, that they're there, there's water, and the Lord provides for them. Awesome. Yes, this is the Lord showing his provision. 
but we don't see some miraculous work that the Lord does when they're provided for. We see the miraculous work in a place of desolation and of barrenness. And then the Lord does a miracle. That's where we see a miracle. And then here in Elim, when there's water, that's it. They move on. They journey. They continue through. And that's not to say that God's blessings of, and provision are not good. But sometimes we see God so much during that trial. Sometimes you, you're going to be even a more well-polished instrument for the Lord after you go through that trial. Now, in chapter 16, verse 1, And they journeyed from Elim, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. On the fifteenth day of the second month, after they departed from the land of Egypt. So this is a month now after they have been set free from Egypt and they are in the wilderness of Sin. And the translation, it's, it could also be Zin, Z-I-N. It's not necessarily related to the idea, the immorality of sin. However, this place really does become a place of sin for the Israelites. Look at verse 2. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the, this wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly, with hunger. Oh, man, these people. They're finally getting... One place, God provide. They get out of Egypt. God provides their escape. They get to the wilderness. They need water, and they're complaining. God provides the water. Here they are again. Moses, we're hungry. And what they accuse Moses of doing, it's an inaccurate memory of their life in Egypt. They had forgotten the bondage and the harsh slavery that they were under while they were in Egypt. You know, sometimes I'm reminded that as a believer, we look back at our old life of sin and being in the world, and we look at all the pleasure and miss the pleasure of it, but we forget about the pain, the suffering, the emptiness that all that pleasure resulted in. And we just long for the world, yet... We forget the slavery, the bondage that we were in. May we not long for the world. Remind yourself next time your mind starts going to that place of, oh man, but it it felt so good to be drunk. It felt so good to be high. Remind yourself of the emptiness without Christ. So they're complaining now against Moses. In verse four, then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread, rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them. Whether they will walk 
in my law or not? And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Then Moses and Aaron said to the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? Wow, that's a powerful statement. Aaron and Moses are speaking to these people. The people are being tested, complaining against their leaders. And Moses and Aaron saying, who are we? You're complaining against the Lord. We sometimes in our complaining of our current situation, we're not really complaining against flesh. We're complaining against the Lord. The Bible teaches us not to complain, but in fact teaches us in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And again, in Romans chapter 9, verse 20, Paul writes, But indeed, O man, who are you? to reply against God. Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? You see, the Lord, he's designing and the author of our life. When we give ourselves to him, so if we're seeking after the Lord and he's preparing us as an instrument, as a vessel for him, and let's say the same way that the potter in Ezekiel, Old Testament, the potter is making that clay into an instrument, forming it to what he desires. And suddenly, as the potter is making the clay, he realizes, oh, there's an imperfection in this clay. There's some hard rock that needs to be broken down and then molded back into and formed into its proper shape. So that potter will destroy that vessel, break it up, throw some water in it, get it nice and soft again, and then build that instrument back into what he desires. And as Ezekiel saw this, God spoke to him and said, can I not do that same thing for my children, Israel? And can God not do it for you? As he's molding and shaping you, creating you into what he desires, suddenly we, he, real, he sees, because he knows all things, that there's something that needs to be taken out of us. Some imperfection, some sin, some anxiety or fear that needs to be removed. So what does the Lord do? He breaks us down so that he could build us back up. He levels the playing field so he can have uh, some, a heart that is soft, not calloused, but one that he could work with and build up into what he desires. So 
why do we complain so much when the Lord is doing his work? Yes, it, heart, it hurts our heart sometimes when the Lord is doing his surgery, taking out whatever evilness that is in there. And sometimes we want to get off the operating table. We're like, no, I, that hurts too much. I don't, I don't want to be on the table anymore. And the Lord is saying, you don't have to. You can stay out there off the table and continue with that illness, that, that sickness that I want to take out of you, that sin, that anxiety. But I love you. I want what's best for you. And in order to do that, I need you to get back on the table and let me do my work. May we allow the Lord to do his work. You see, God is a healer. He removes things that are not supposed to be in our life, making us whole with him. Allow him to have his work be done in you. Now, as these, again, Israelites are complaining against their leader, they're explaining to the Israelites, look, you're complaining against the Lord. It says in verse 8, also, Moses said, this shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and in the morning bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints, which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses spoke to Aaron, say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. Now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness. And behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. So again, we have this cloud that's been guiding them. And now the Lord's glory appearing in it. So some awesome thing. The cloud was constantly with them, but now the glory of the Lord now, some Crazy, I'm sure, lights and maybe even fire guiding them. And then in verse 11, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So now the promise, the promise that their needs are going to be met, that where God guides, that he provides. And then in verse 13, So it was that quail came up at evening and covered the camp. And in the morning the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. Wow. God now providing through the miraculous, first bringing them meat, the quail, 
And they covered the camp. And then in the morning when the dew lifted, there was this strange substance, finest frost on the floor. And they said, what is it? And now the Hebrew words for what is it is in Hebrew the word mana. Mana. You've heard that word, manna from heaven. It's literally what it means. The word manna, when you've heard, oh, the manna, it's this holy bread. It's funny because it literally means, what is it? So whenever you say, oh, this manna, you're saying, what is it? And this is exactly what they were thinking of as how is it possible again that the Lord has given us food to eat? And they realize it's because the Lord is giving it to them. In John chapter 6, remember what Jesus said. As he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. You see, the Lord had given the Israelites bread to eat in the wilderness. But he wanted them to realize where that bread was coming from. From a God who was all sufficient to provide for them with the things that were most important so that they could be satisfied in him alone. And that's what Jesus was talking about when he said, I am the bread of life. He's not literal bread. When we have communion, it's a symbol, a reminder that his body was broken for us. His blood, his life poured out on our lives forgiving us of sin so that we can have an eternal life complete in him so that we don't have to thirst and hunger after the things of this world anymore. This is what being satisfied in the Lord is. See, Jesus is more essential than the very thing that keeps us alive, which is food and water. See, bread and wine are the two most common food items in every culture that exists. Bread and wine. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. That phrase, I am, the ego emi, that is the Lord. The same I am that Moses heard from the burning bush in the wilderness, the Lord saying, I am that I am the all-becoming one because God is everything we need. And Jesus is saying, I am because Jesus is everything we need. And to get more specific, he says, I am the bread of life. Remember in Jesus that we are made righteous? Remember in Matthew's gospel Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Jesus is saying that those who come to him will never hunger, and those who believe in him will never thirst, because he is saying that our hunger and our thirst for righteousness is going to be made right in God's sight. You see, this is what we're supposed to seek after. is Jesus, his righteousness. 
The Bible teaches us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Godliness with contentment is a great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. You see, in our study, we see what it is to worship the Lord, to give God glory. We also have some examples of what it is to then gripe and complain against the Lord. So may we be the the first, worshiping the Lord, giving him glory, reminding ourselves that as we seek after his righteousness, that Jesus said that he will fill us. He will give us that water so that we will not thirst after the things of the world. And in this life that's soon to be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. So may you go forward this week, living this out, allowing Jesus to fill your every need. May he become your everything. We're going to stop in our chapter tonight. And we'll continue next week in Exodus chapter 16. But let's pray. And if that's you tonight, if you have been complaining against the Lord for the lot that he has placed you in, if there are things that you don't understand about his ways right now, that you are seeking after that comfort, that peace, that he has a plan for you. I want to pray for you tonight. And if you desire to seek after the Lord for the first time, you want to leave behind the world and the things of this world so that you can be in that fellowship with Jesus. You want to be rid of sin and be victorious in Christ. Why don't you pray this prayer after me? Heavenly Father, I confess to you that I am a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me. I accept Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and use me. I love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to pray now for for the believers who are asking for the Holy Spirit to help them in in their situations. I, I pray, Father, now that you would go forth, Lord, in the life of your servants, your children. Be their healer, Father. Show them, Lord, who you are. May we submit unto you, Lord God, our lives. I pray and I ask, Father, that you'd bring that provision. May Jesus be the one that we seek after fully and completely. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. One more song tonight. 
and we'll see you guys Sunday morning in the backyard. Sunday.